0: Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast. O's Manual Chapter 37 is dedicated to non-invasive in intensive care medicine and it's probably worth um, giving it some time given that this is a common respiratory support both in the intensive care unit and indeed throughout the entire hospital. So many of the benefits of non-invasive ventilation are similar to those seen with conventional invasive ventilation um, with the blue plastic tube through the vocal cords. For example, you still get positive airway pressure, which recruits alveoli and improves oxygenation. You still get improved alveolar ventilation, which is going to improve minute volume, it's going to lower the CO2. You're going to get reduction in work of breathing, as the machine is now doing some of the work of breathing. You're going to get stabilisation of the chest wall, maybe in rib fractures. And you're going to get a reduction in transmural left ventricular pressures, acting as a sort of a poor man's intra balloon pump, and more on that later. The big advantage of course is that you get all these positives, but you get to avoid the blue plastic tube through the cords and all the hassle and the complications that come with that. But it's not all unicorns and rose petals here. The mask itself has a tendency to macerate the face over time and patients who are already feeling breathless and suffocating often don't take kindly to having a plastic mask shoved over their face. Even if they do tolerate the mask, it is frequently difficult to make a decent seal and maintain that lovely positive mean airway pressure that you're looking for. And while I did wax lyrical about the positives um, of positive pressure ventilation at the beginning of the post, it seems only fair to point out the negatives of positive pressure ventilation. It is clear that positive pressure ventilation is non-physiological for the lungs, and it is known to cause its own form of lung injury when applied through a plastic tube through the cords. Now, the alveoli only see the pressure, and they do not care which device it's being delivered through, so there's no good reason why non-invasive ventilation wouldn't cause similar problems. And this, of course, brings up the unanswered and quite entertaining controversy over P-Silly or patient self-induced lung injury, uh, a debate that hit zenith during the worst days of the COVID-19 pandemic. There were back and forth letters in the journals between some of the heaviest hitters in the ventilation world bouncing back and forth whether they actually believed patient self-induced lung injury was actually a thing. Now, this is, of course, not supposed to explore it, but it's perhaps suffice to say that someone sitting with a respiratory rate of 30 for a week on 80% oxygen with a peak of 10 on non-invasive may well be undergoing at least some of the same lung stress that any typical ventilated ARDS patient may be undergoing. NIV is not necessarily a free pass. When it comes to modes, the names are, as ever, confusing and baffling. Overall, they split them into some kind of CPAP mode where airway pressure is constant throughout the respiratory cycle and the alternative option is a mode with pressure supports set above that peeper CPAP where the pressure increases above the baseline CPAP when the patient breathes in. To make matters worse, there's no clear consensus in how the numbers are described. So for example, our portable single limb circuit ward based uh, NIV machines use the terminology EPAP and IPAP to describe the pressures with both numbers starting from zero. So for example, on that machine, 10 over 5 would be a CPAP of 5 with an additional 5 centimetres of water pressure support whenever the patient inspires. On an ICU ventilator, this would be described as 5 over 5. When would you reach for non-invasive over, say, one of the aforementioned blue plastic tubes through the cords? Well, there are now a number of well-established indications where it's entirely appropriate to try and temporise or even do the complete course of treatment with non-invasive, rather than just putting the tube in. I'll give a brief summary of a few of them below. So, pulmonary edema. The scenario is the heart is poor, the lungs are wet and heavy, and the SATs are low. The patient is crying out for a little bit of CPAP. How might it? How might it help? Let me count the ways. So, number one, by increasing intrathoracic pressure, you are decreasing the gradient of pressure between the low pressure at end diastole in the left ventricle and the high pressure at end diastole in the aorta. As a result, the left ventricle has to do less work to pop open the aortic valve and get blood moving forward into the aorta. This mechanism is somewhat akin, though probably not nearly as effective, to the afterload reduction seen with an intraaortic balloon pump. Hence, the description of CPAP as the poor man's balloon pump. Number two, you improve oxygenation by recruiting alveoli. Number three, you're reducing the work of breathing by giving a little boost as the chest wall tries to expand those wet and heavy lungs. And number four, you're applying a little positive hydrostatic pressure to to the flooded alveoli. And that might help get the fluid back into the vasculature where the feruzumide can do its glorious work of diuresis. For pulmonary edema, there is a clearly proven benefit for reducing intubations and improving oxygenation, though the signal for mortality improvement is not nearly as clear. Exacerbations of COPD. So in this scenario, the lungs are scarred, the airway is constricted and obstructed. A minor sniffles can be enough to push them over the edge of respiratory failure and the CO2 is rising and the pH is falling and they do not have the respiratory reserve to up their work of breathing to compensate for it. Non-invasive, and in particular a mode with increased support during inspiration, so a pressure support type mode, a bypass type mode, can improve the minute volume and clear the CO2 and wake them from their CO2 narcosis. This is a very well-supported intervention with 14 or so RCT showing benefit, with a number needed to treat to avoid intubation and death of 4 and 10, respectively. Asthma. Now we have very rapidly straight, straight into an evidence light zone. It seems somewhat inc- counterintuitive that it is a disease process where the main issue is difficulty breathing out would be helped by adding positive pressure down the airway. Now that may be because um, the extrinsic peep from the machine is helping them overcome the intrinsic peep of the airway constriction. Or it could be that the CPAP is reducing the work of breathing. Or it could be any number of potential arguable benefits. Still to be proven, but commonly used. ARDS. So for a long time this was firmly in the controversial box and many would have argued that ARDS needs low volume, low pressure ventilation um, things that we cannot control in non-invasive. Meaningful meaningful trials were definitely lacking. Um, Then Covid came along and we all kind of lost the run of ourselves and went a bit mad with the old CPAP we were handing out CPAP masks with the coffee in the dexamethasone in the morning ward round. Now allowing that the bilateral infiltrates of Covid pneumonitis meet the definition of ARDS by any standard then it seems that non-invasive ventilation had found a clear role in the world of ARDS. That role and how far you might push CPAP before biting the bullet and tubing them remains to be defined. Um, Yes it's true I can keep this person going for two weeks on 90% oxygen and a peep of 10 but is that really the best thing to do? Um, Now I don't mean that with any hint of sarcasm here I I really do not know the answer to that question uh, and it's something that we really do need to get to. What about post-extubation support? So you've taken the tube out and they're struggling. So should you stick an NIV mask on, or should you just put the tube back in? Again, I wouldn't say that is data is exactly clear here, but it seems that if they're feeling extubation due to isler pulmonary edema, or bronchospastic COPD type process, then it's probably worth a go, and there does seem to be a benefit. Again, hardly surprising, as they're the two most solid indications that we have already for non-invasive. If it's not either of those, then it's probably just to put the tube back in. Okay, reading for this, O's Manual of Intensive Care, chapter 37.